Amen. Thank you, Lenan. Our reading of Scripture continues with our Gospel lesson for today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, beginning in the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I grew up learning, maybe you've heard this too, that a job isn't worth doing unless it's worth, say it with me, doing right. But what is the right way to walk as Christians? What is the way for Christians? We find out, we get a glimpse of that way in this reading today in Matthew and in the reflections from Isaiah. Verse 8 of our reading today says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is the way for Christians. Let me help us think about this. Uh, Maybe we'll have a little fun with it. Uh, You remember the jokes by Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if, right? And then it spawned into all kinds of you might be uh, this if, right? We're going to have some fun with that today. You might be a sinner in need of repenting if... Every breakup you've ever had was the other person's fault, all right? You, you might need be a sinner in need of repentance if, if every job you've ever had would have been better if only your boss would have gotten it right, right? Or if only your employees would have gotten it right. Or if only your coworkers would have gotten it right, right? Every, you might be a sinner in need of repenting if every project or meeting you attend would only be better if they just did it your way, right? Every project. You might be a sinner in need of repentance if every test you took 
wasn't fair because I don't think the teacher actually ever covered that, right? You might be a sinner in need of repentance if uh, every time you watch your favorite football team lose, uh, you're just sure that the refs have rigged it, right? You might be a sinner in need of repentance if when you speak to an elder, you say, well, you, you just don't understand. You see, in today's world, it's like this. Or you might be a sinner in need of repentance if you're speaking to a youth and you say, you know, it was better when. You might be a sinner in need of repentance if you roll your eyes every time your parents start speaking. Right? You might be a sinner in need of repentance if you hold your breath when your child begins to speak. You might be a sinner in need of repentance if your solution is, I just need to spend some more me time. Or conversely, you might be a sinner in need of repentance if I just don't have time to rest or practice Sabbath. You might be a sinner in need of repentance if none of these examples remotely apply to you, right? (laughs) Friends, repentance is the way of life for a Christian. Repentance is the way of life for a Christian. And we get that from John the Baptizer in this text today. And we know that John is important for a lot of reasons. First of all, he's a very popular preacher. They're coming to him from all of the Judean and Jerusalem and all the region. We know that from the Scriptures. We know that from first century historian Josephus, outside the biblical text, a Jew who was working for the Romans and writing down history. He talked about John the Baptist. And as he would describe it, uh, maybe similar to what it would be like for us today, that folks would come from all over the region, bring their wine and cheese to sit and make a picnic of it. People would come to listen to this guy, John. I found it interesting, as one commentator pointed out, and it just leapt out for me, that uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not all four of them, only two, tell us the details of Jesus' birth, but all four talk about John the Baptist. He's important for us to listen to. We know that by the description here, that we hear in today's reading of what he's wearing and what he's eating. And if you were a Jew familiar with the Old Testament, as you were hearing that, you would hear the quotations because it was a direct description of the prophet Elijah. Quoting precisely from the Old Testament just what Elijah was like. And we find out that John, as Jesus will tell us later, is the prophet Elijah fulfilled that promise through the promise of John the Baptist. John, as it turns out, is the only prophet that was prophesied about coming. And what comes out from the wilderness in the history of God's people? What came to us in the wilderness on Mount Sinai? Nothing other than the law from the Lord. 
And so what's going on with John is important and significant. And this call and invitation to repent is crucial. But John, well, have you ever read a book with an author you'd never heard of, but the person who wrote the foreword was very famous and very familiar to you, so you picked it up because of that one who wrote the foreword. That's what's going on here. John is writing the foreword. He's the popular preacher known in that day, and he is the authenticator. He is the herald for the book that is about to be written, the Word made flesh. They had not heard of him yet, but they're about to. John is writing the foreword. And as that herald, we must not forget what he's saying. In fact, one scholar put it this way, we must speak of God's love coming down to us at Christmas without remembering that the divine love is fierce in its judgment of those who resist love's demands. John the Baptist warns us that repentance must not be procrastinated. In fact, he calls those who would not repent a brood of vipers. So our first response to Christ for the Christian is repentance. It shouldn't surprise us that uh, in our relationships that love have demands. With your best friend, when they turn and care for you or serve you, you know that they love you by their actions, right? When heroes sacrifice on our behalf, like the one on the back of our bulletin today, you know that's love. When you sacrifice for your husband or for your wife in your marriage, or when there isn't sacrifice, it tells you about love. Love demands generosity. Generosity for others, for the poor. And so it makes sense to us that there would be a demand. But what's confusing is, is the first call for the Christian here is not a to-do list like we have around the holidays like each of us do. A season that ironically is about peace, but it doesn't feel very peaceful when we're trying to check off all these things on the list, right? Instead, what love demands of us as we hear in this text is surrender. Repentance is to surrender to my will and instead turn to God's. Because the one who is coming is greater. John's just writing the foreword. What is to come? The baptism that he brings comes with power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And we know who this coming king is. Matthew's already told us in chapter 2, it's Jesus. And now as he quotes Isaiah 40 at the beginning of this text, he's connecting Jesus, this king, as Yahweh. Hearers of this would have heard the echo of the rest of the chapter of Isaiah 40 in their ears and known that the kingdom of heaven, as he says in Matthew, 30, Matthew here, is near 
because the King, Yahweh, Jesus, is near. By the way, Matthew will use this phrase unique to his gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Other gospel writers will use the phrase kingdom of God. It's most likely synonymous to one another, but Matthew doubles down on it. He uses this phrase 32 times in the gospel. Kingdom of heaven. And what is the way he wants us to hear this kingdom of heaven is? It's a way of repentance. Not do or die. And in that case, there'll be no peace. But instead, there is a seriousness to it, though. It's repent or be judged. But with repentance, there will be peace. You see, as that word metanoia was understood first in Greek, and you've heard us talk about it here, in the Greek thinking it was a change of mind. But the way it's being used here is leaning into and the weight of a translation of two Hebrew words that give us a picture of repentance that is turning around, going a different direction, making a new action, and having a radical transformation. But the way that that radical transformation happens is hard for us to get a hold of when it's inviting us just simply first to surrender. Like an alcoholic who is powerless over alcohol, the Scripture teaches us in places like Romans 7 that we are powerless by ourselves over sin. Even the Apostle Paul would say there, oh, I do the things I do not want to do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. Ah. Until someone greater comes. Whereas in step two of the 12 steps of the AA says, they came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That power, that one, the only one, is Jesus, the King of Kings, Yahweh. He is the one that can make that radical transformation in our lives. And so... Our job is to surrender to Him. That famous serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr, you know, God grant me the serenity too. You're probably familiar with that uh, prayer, particularly that beginning part of it. But many don't know the rest of the prayer. The last stanza of the prayer that Niebuhr wrote, he wrote, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. What a beautiful Advent prayer. To be reasonably happy in this life that Christ has come, but in leaning into Him and His power, extremely happy in the world that is to come, for Christ will come again. For peace comes by the power of God. This is not a self-help sermon where 
If you do this, then this will happen. The fixing isn't our job. Our job is the repenting. God's power, his coming king does the fixing. For our king takes what we confess and brings it to the cross. Jesus the king, whose kingdom, as he'll say later in the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom has come with his coming. When we repent, we receive this gift through him of a new baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit who refines us with his fire and prepares us to celebrate the Christ who has come and will come again. This way, this pilgrimage for the Christian is a way of love because it's resolved not by my power, but by the power of the cross. What seems impossible for us, the birth of the King of Kings as a baby, became a reality. The resurrection of a dead Jesus, impossible. It becomes a reality. And when he comes again, that too, like his birth, like his resurrection, will be a reality. And he will restore all things. Let's walk in the path that he's given us. A path of humility and repentance. So as you literally come forward to receive Holy Communion today, or if you're worshiping with us from home, or in your seats, in your hearts, come by way of repentance. Come by way of confessing your sins. Come, baptized people of God, you are not, this, the brood of vipers is not your way. I haven't called anyone a brood of vipers yet today. This is not your way. Not baptized yet? I still have plenty of water left over from this morning. Feel free to come forward. Your way is a way of repentance. Our way is a way of repentance. It turns out you... It's not that you might be. You are a sinner in need of repentance, in need of salvation. And the good news is, is we have a Savior who has come to resolve the unresolvable. And he does that at the cross. And he promises that one day he will restore all things. And while we wait, when that Day become, until that day becomes a reality. May he find us repenting. Amen.